What's going on, good people, and welcome to Live by the Three with your boy Curly. Big shout out to returning listeners, and if you're a first time listener, thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoyed the show. The NBA playoffs tipped off on April 16, 2022, marking game one for the Raptors and Sixers. Now, this was a matchup that I wanted as. The season series favored the Raptors 3-1, and Nickner seemed to have had the formula to frustrate, because he definitely can't stop Joel Embiid. And the Raptors were going in with a lot of momentum, finishing with the fifth best record in the NBA, dated from December 31st to the end of the season. They exceeded expectations. We weren't supposed to be the fifth seed. We were, we were destined for the play-in, and especially in a quote-unquote retool and rebuilding year. And Vegas had us finishing with no more than 36 and a half wins. It is clear that the Raptors have exceeded all those expectations and are in a great position playing with house money with no pressure on them. On the flip side of that, our opponent, the Sixers, have a tremendous amount of pressure on them. Joel Embiid looking like the MVP frontrunner. Doc Rivers having coached tremendous teams, talented teams, and underachieving. And James Harden has a lot to prove. Now, historically in the playoffs, James Harden has been tremendous, averaging over 30 points in the playoffs. But it seemed like when the games matter most or when the game is on the line, he seems to fizzle out under pressure. But he came out and said that there's no pressure on him going into the postseason well i definitely beg to differ because that philadelphia fan base is unforgiving one and two they are expecting nothing less than a championship so you are definitely comfortable with the raptors drawing this matchup unfortunately on april 16th that's not how it went down the sixers dictated how the game was going to go from the very first possession not to mention that the referees made it difficult for the Raptors to establish any sort of rhythm defensively and let alone offensively. Now the game plan was to frustrate Joel Embiid and James Harden. Nick Nurse accomplished that. The unfortunate part is he sent them to the free throw line more often than we would have liked. The uh, the Raptors were being called for almost everything. You could not touch Joel Embiid and being the flopper that he he is and James Harden, the king of flopping, you can appreciate how that game was being refed. Now, I'm not one to blame the outcome of the game solely on the referees. They, They definitely influenced how the game went down, but the Raptors were playing terrible defense and they were playing terrible offense. On top of all of that, We lost Thaddeus Young to a sprained thumb injury in the second quarter. And then in the second half, we lost Scotty Barnes, our superstar in the making, our rookie of the year. After Joel Embiid planted his massive frame on Scotty Barnes' left ankle while making a spin move on on the way to the basket. Obviously being called for a foul if you were the Raptors defending him. And we lost Scotty Barnes in the process. It was clear that the agenda for the Sixers was to frustrate the Raptors and to outmuscle them. And they accomplished that on both fronts. Obviously, with the assistance of a friendly whistle, the Raptors ended up losing 131 to 111 in game one. The Raptors shot 40 for 82 from the field, giving them 49%, 12 for 30 from three, giving them 40%, 19 for 23 from the free throw line, giving them 83%. 
The Sixers shot 43 for 84, giving them 51% from the field, 16 for 32, giving them 50% from three, and 29 for 34. 29 for 34, an unbelievable number for free throws made and attempted, giving them 85%. From the double teaming of Joel Embiid and James Harden, Tyrese Maxey had a career game, giving him 38 points. Tobias Harris remembered who he was, and looking like Tobias Harris of old, scoring 26 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Joel Embiid finished with a double-double, 19 points, 15 rebounds, and James Harden had 22 points and 14 assists for the Raptors. They were led by Pascal, who scored 24 points, 7 rebounds. OG had a good game, 20 points and 7 rebounds. Scotty Barnes was on his way to getting a triple-double before the injury. He was going to be the second youngest player in NBA history to achieve a triple-double and the first player in Raptors history to get a triple-double in their first playoff game with 15 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, and Fred Van Vliet chipped in with 18 points and six assists game one not going the way that we wanted and the Sixers took care of business they protected home court again they were expected to win the game as historically the Raptors are not very good in game ones five and 17 all time but you definitely thought that the Raptors would have put up a better fight than what they did but there was a lot of variables that ended up dictating how that game was going to end up now we move on to game two which happened on april 18th the same day as my mom's birthday so happy birthday mom once again unfortunately the raptors were not able to give you the birthday gift that you wanted and that was a victory i'm not going to spend too much time talking about that game it was a blowout in the end Though the Raptors started off the game hot early, they came out with more purpose. They were hitting perimeter shots, being undermanned without Scotty Barnes. Gary Trent battling non-COVID illness. He was definitely not himself and he had limited playing time. And Thaddeus Young playing through the sprained thumb injury. You admire his toughness, but again, it was no match for the Sixers physical dominance with the benefit of the friendly whistle going in their favor the Raptors were not able to establish any sort of rhythm they lost the game in my opinion in the second and third quarter scoring 19 points total in each quarter even though they did make a comeback in the fourth bringing the 29 point lead to 11 in the midst of that run they ended up turning over the ball which led to a Philly 3, not much more to dissect from that game. The Raptors ended up losing 112 to 97. The Raptors shot 38 for 89 from the field, giving them 43%, 11 for 32 from 3, giving them 34%, 10 to 12 from the free throw line, giving them 83%. The Sixers shot 36 for 69, giving them 52% from the field, 14 for 30 from 3, giving them 47%. And again, the whistle going favor of the Sixers they got 30 attempts hit 26 giving them 87 percent so the Raptors basically lost the game just from the free throw attempts alone and the free throws made while they were able to force Philly into more turnovers this game in game one they weren't able to do that and they weren't able to establish 
their rhythm in the fast break with the Sixers only turning over the ball three times in game two. They turned over the ball 14 times. They got 17 points off, off of those turnovers, but the fast break points and the three points made is what stands out most to me. 22 points to the Raptors 10 in terms of the fast break and the efficiency from three they only hit three more threes but it was the efficiency of hitting the three the shots they were taking not just the three but the shots that they were taking and the shots that they were they were getting really spelled the demise for the Raptors and it definitely begs the question what is the game plan going forward into game three now after the first two games, you can look at a very long list of problems where you can highlight where the Raptors went wrong, but I'm only going to focus on the few and obvious ones. Now, one of them is establishing a transition game. The Raptors, unfortunately, do not have a half court offense. The Raptors get a bunch of their offense off of their defense. If you are not forcing the team to into turnovers, there goes half your offense. And the Raptors don't have that go-to guy. Even though Siakam is answering the call, he's not quite there yet, though he has made strides. But having a guy like a Kawhi, like a DeMar, when your offense is struggling, makes a huge difference. And if you're if you don't have that guy, you're gonna have to find other ways to get your buckets. And the fast break is one of it. And if they're unable to get their fast break, it's gonna be hard for them to to score, especially if they're struggling from the perimeter. The second thing is their defense. Now the double teaming is creating a lot of open opportunities. Now I've said this before during the season and I'm going to continue to echo the same sentiment. The Raptors defensive rotation while playing zone is poor and it's leaving open shots for guys that have the ability to make the three from the perimeter. So at this point you're gonna have to choose which sword you're gonna die you're gonna die by so to speak it's either you're gonna live with joel and beat scoring a bunch of points or you're gonna die at the hands of the others and right now tyrese maxi is playing with a bunch of confidence tobias harris is playing with a bunch of confidence even danny green is shooting with a lot more confidence now and how could they not if they are getting wide open opportunities so there definitely needs to be an adjustment defensively and the last point i want to highlight is being dependent on the referees listen i don't buy in to the conspiracy theory that a lot or not a lot that some raptors fan has that the league is against us being the only canadian team i don't subscribe to that but at a certain point, you're going to have to just play basketball, looking for the referees to bail you out and to help you win the game is not a recipe for success. And Fred Van Vliet echoed the same sentiment. And I quote, at a certain point, we've got to stop arguing with the refs and find another solution because they're not budging, end quote. And that was reported by Josh Lundberg once again. So... He recognized it, I recognized it, I'm sure a lot of you did. There needs to be a change of philosophy as to how we approach this series going forward because if we're not going to get the benefit of the referees, something else has got to give. Lucky for them, I have a solution. Now some of it is going to be very obvious, 
but if executed properly, it should be effective. First thing would be to stop fouling Joel Embiid. By fouling him and sending him to the line with the double teams and the triple teams, you're obviously not getting the benefit of the whistle. Don't send him to the free throw line. Play him straight up. You're not going to stop him. You only hope to contain a player like Joel Embiid. So just let him eat. It's the old Shaq philosophy. You're not ever going to stop Shaq. You just have to worry about the others. So let Joel Embiid eat. Shut down Ma the likes of Maxi Harris. You can afford to guard James Harden straight up at this point. There's no need to send a double team or triple team his direction. Keep the defense honest and keep the Sixers players honest. And with that, Joel Embiid will not be able to rest, which is the key takeaway from this point, is that he won't be able to rest while on the free throw line, taking those deep breaths and taking his time. He will be less effective if you are not giving him free buckets. The second point, would be a more perimeter oriented game for the Raptors. The Raptors scored 48 points in the paint in game two, but they are only looking for those kind of opportunities because the perimeter shots aren't falling. Now, I'm not saying you it's either layups or threes, but what about the mid range? What about showing uh, Siakam in the, the high post in and around the free throw line and forcing Joel Embiid out of the paint and having him play a more perimeter style of defense by having the Sixers in the zone and you playing into the zone, Joel Embiid can easily stay at home, not do much in the paint and continue to be dominant on both sides of the ball. So, and by bringing him out of the paint, will create more opportunities. Siakam will be able to use his spin move effectively and also create layup opportunities for the likes of Fred Van Vliet and OG and others. And the last point I want to make, speed up the game. Force Joel Embiid to run. Get into a track meet with that team. They only really have Tyrese Maxey that can run up and down the floor. James Harden is not going to be that guy finishing on, on the fast break on a consistent basis or at least from an effective standpoint. Make or miss, speed up the offense, don't give the defense an opportunity to set up and just run back on defense. Don't worry about the referees, don't worry if you miss the shot, just get back on defense force the Sixers to work. Right now, they haven't faced any sort of adversity. You definitely like how that plays into the Raptors' favor. Doc Rivers has had an easy time coaching, and there's not much coaching you need to do when you have an MVP play caliber player in Joel Embiid and a former MVP in James Harden and Tyrese Maxey looking to be one of the young superstars growing in this league and growing before our eyes in the playoffs there's not much you need to do or say so just create some sort of chaos for the sixers you definitely like the raptors chances now they are down 0-2 they are playing on april 20th and it seems like the raptors are playing eight on five right now but the Raptors are at home and there's just something about that home cooking that would make the team not only feel better, but look better when they're out on the court. And especially with the over 20,000 people that are gonna be in and around Scotiabank Arena. And I'm referring to Jurassic Park on the outside. So 
it may have been eight on five well now it's going to be over twenty thousand against eight don't give up hope the raptors have been in this position before i'm not referring to the 2019 championship run where the where the, the raptors were down 0-2 to the bucks and beat them four straight games we had a special guy and he was a fun guy in Kawhi leonard so that's definitely increases your chances of victory when you have a guy like that to rely on but this is similar to what the raptors were in the bubble just the way the team is made they were down 0-2 against boston and ended up forcing a game seven so while that was in the second round this is in the first round it's in the raptors dna to go down swinging if they are going to go down so let's keep the faith and let's bring that energy to game three for those attending let's go raptors now game three is still going to be without scotty barnes but We've got some encouraging news. He is walking around without the walking boot and is progressing as Nick Nurse said that he assumes he'll be ready for game four. So that'll be a huge boost. And not to mention that Gary Trent is going to give it a go and Thaddeus Young is ready to go for game three. So we're getting some bodies back. I definitely hope Gary Trent can find his stroke and that Fred Van Vliet, even though he has taken responsibility for the first two games, it's not all on him, but he definitely needs to be better. Siakam needs to be better. The Raptors on the whole need to be better in order for us to win the games three and four, obviously, but we have to take it one game at a time. And like I said, the Raptors are capable of doing so. We'll see how this plays out. Now, let's take a look at around the association very quickly. We're going to rifle through the games that have already transpired from April 16th. We got the Jazz winning game one against the Mavericks 99-93. The Timberwolves defeated the Grizzlies, giving them a 1-0 series lead, 130-117. That was very surprising. Didn't think Minnesota had that in them the way... That Memphis has been playing the way that they've been playing without Ja Morant was definitely impressive. You definitely thought that they would have taken game one. Was not the case. And the Warriors who got back Steph Curry. He was coming off the bench. Jordan Poole is looking like the new member of the Splash Bros. They took down the Nuggets 123 to 107 giving them a one to nothing series lead now on april 17th the miami heat were facing the atlanta hawks the hawks got back john collins but they lost clint capella who got hurt in the playing game don't like the hawks chances without their defensive anchor they ended up losing game one to the heat 115 to 91 game of the weekend the boston celtics against the brooklyn nets Kyrie's return back to Boston was serenaded with boos and explicit language according to him, but we'll get into that later. They ended up losing on a buzzer beater layup by Jason Tatum. The Celtics won 115 to 114, giving them a one to nothing series lead. The Bucks won an ugly game against the Bulls. The Bulls went down swinging. I was very surprised. They had quite the slide from the top seed to the sixth seed, and it did not finish the way that Chicago fans have hoped. But they made it a game, and hopefully they'll make it a series, but they still lost to the Bucks, 93-86. to The Phoenix Suns took down the New Orleans Pelicans, who made it interesting towards the end, but were just outmatched 
110 to 99. The Suns taking a one to nothing series lead. And on Monday, on April 18th, as you know, the Raptors lost. The Jazz were shocked by the Dallas Mavericks. 41 points by Jalen Brunson. They tied the series up at one apiece, 110 to 104 in favor of the Mavericks. And the Warriors took down the Nuggets once again. Jordan Poole scoring 59 points in his first two playoff games. Steph Curry ended up scoring 34 points off the bench. You just kind of feel sorry for the Nuggets at this point. Obviously, they are without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And Jokic having the MVP season that he had. It just seems that their playoff run will be a short one. The Warriors are firing on all, on all cylinders and are getting healthy. They take a 2-0 series lead, 126-106. And on April 19th, the Hawks, again, were in Miami. They made it quite interesting, but unfortunately, Jimmy Buckets had a very dominant performance, putting in 45 points. They take a 2-0 series lead, 115-105. The Memphis Grizzlies did what they were supposed to do in Game 1. Took down the uh, the Timberwolves 124 to 96, tying that series at one apiece. And a shocker, the Phoenix Suns lost 125 to 114 to the Pelicans. They started the game with Devin Booker, and it looked like he was going to have a career night, scoring 31 points in the first half with no free throw attempts. He just looked unstoppable, but unfortunately for the Suns and he was out in the second half with a hamstring injury, not the same hamstring that he injured before. This is another one, and he is listed as doubtful for the next game. If you've ever had soft tissue injuries, especially your hamstring like I have, that is just going to linger. So this series has taken an interesting turn. The Pelicans are playing inspired basketball. They have a team that is committed and energetic. Definitely begs the question to see if CP3 at his advantages is going to have enough in the tank to lead the Phoenix Suns to victory over the Pelicans. But we shall see how that goes. Now let's take a look at some injury updates. It seems that Ben Simmons is going to be making his return finally to the basketball court at game four of the Celtics and Nets series. Now, he hasn't played basketball in a year. He has ramped up his activity as of Monday, April 18th. He was doing four on four contact drills, and it seems that his activity is being accelerated but whether he returns at that time we, it remains to be seen as Steve Nash was asked about this and I quote it's up to Ben whether Ben plays or not end quote so it seems like Ben Simmons is in full control uh, you definitely hope he's in sound mind body and soul before he makes his return to the basketball court he hasn't played basketball for a year but if he can bring some of that defensive energy that he has been known for lately to a Nets team that desperately struggles with their defense it would be a welcome sight and especially since he's in a new environment a no pressure environment as the focus will only be on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving it definitely like the chances of Ben Simmons being successful on the Brooklyn Nets which brings us to the Dallas Mavericks and a possible return of Luka Doncic as he 
has increased his activity ahead of game three now as you know he is out with a calf strain not a very fun injury it seems like Doncic is not ruling out a return to the jazz series at this point now if the likes of spencer dinwiddie and jalen brunson can just hold down the fort until luca makes his eventual return you definitely like the chances of the mavericks defeating the utah jazz i think the jazz are a fraudulent team they have found creative ways to lose big games time and time again the controversy surrounding donovan mitchell and rudy gobert and the possibility of quinn snyder not being their head coach anymore so there's a lot of chaos going on in utah and a loss to the mavericks will just be adding more fuel to the fire it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out for the jazz and lastly i want to talk about kyrie irving and the celtics net series now if you are unaware Kyrie Irving is always met with hostility because of his short time spent in Boston and not resigning when he alleged that he would and making his way to Brooklyn. Boston fan base is not one you want to betray, so to speak. And the fans always give him the business and game one was no different. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that Kyrie Irving gave it right back to them and he was fined fifty thousand dollars for obscene gestures now if you were watching the game like i was fans were shouting things towards kyrie irving and you can see that he was mocking them he stuck up his middle finger towards them and it just went on the entire duration of the game but it seemed like the boston fans were adding more fuel to the fire as Kyrie Irving put on a performance for the ages, scoring 39 points on 12 of 20 shooting. 12 of 20 shooting. And Kyrie Irving was asked about this matter after, the, after game one. And I quote, Where I'm from, I'm used to all these antics and people being close nearby. It's nothing new when I come into this building, what it's going to be like. But it's the, it's the same energy they have for me. I'm going to have the same energy for them. And it's not every fan. I don't want to attack every Boston fan. When people start yelling profane language and all this stuff, there's only but so much you can take as a competitor. We're the ones expected to be docile and be humble, take a, a humble approach. It's a playoff. This is what it is, end quote. While I don't agree the way Kyrie approached the situation, I have no problem with it. Now, I understand that fans pay a lot of money, especially during playoff time, to go to a game, to be part of the experience and I know what it's like to be attached to an athlete and, and that's the that's the great thing about sports is that there's an emotional attachment and you get accustomed to us to a certain player or whatnot and when that is taken away from you you feel like a part of you is now missing and Kevin Durant echoed that same sentiment and I'm paraphrasing here, but at the same time too, we have a responsibility to conduct ourselves with a certain level of respect. Now, I'm not saying you can't go and boo and jeer athletes. It comes with the territory and I'm sure they understand that. But when you start making things personal and you start being disrespectful, 
and you're spewing that venom, you have to be prepared for the ramification of the actions. And if you're courtside and they happen to respond to you, don't be surprised by it. They're not robots, they are humans. Most people would not treat animals poorly. Why should athletes be treated differently? Just because they make a lot of money, just because they are being paid to play a sport, that doesn't mean it's your given right to be disrespectful towards them. I say, if you treat them with respect, you will get that respect back in most cases now we understand that some athletes are standoffish and you may not get the respect that you're giving to them and remember that they are human beings so if boston is going to continue to behave this way and it seems like kyrie irving has deep enough pockets to deal with the fines and the ramifications of his actions i'm all for it while the nba has cracked down on fan behavior you still have some that fall through the cracks. So let's see how all this plays out. But if I'm the Boston faithful, definitely do not want to antagonize a player of Kyrie Irving's caliber. And on that note, it brings us to the end of this episode. Again, the Raptors are gonna be taking on the Philadelphia 76ers on April 20th. Tip off is eight o'clock. Let's send them positive vibes people that are attending games or have attended the games continue to bring that energy bring that vibe let them know that the raptors will not be going down without a fight as usual any news in in relation to the podcast raptors content you can find that all on the instagram page live by the dot number three that is l-i-v-e-b-y-t-h-e period number three follow like comment once again thank you for joining me And as always, stay safe, good people. Peace.